0: This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm Amy Breslow. Each week I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender? changes over time, and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 24. My guest today is Camille, who identifies as a woman and uses she, her pronouns. Hello, Camille. Welcome to Your Own Voice. I'm so pleased to have you here. Thank
1: you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to wherever this takes us.
0: So I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify? Uh, that's uh,
1: a very open-ended one for me. It, uh, I will say, as a child, I identified uh, growing up being colored, and as politics and things changed. Uh, Then I was Negro. Uh, Then I was Black, and then Afro-American, and African-American. And some days I'm simply an American. So it depends on where I am and what the state of mind is. But I'm a woman, you know, so when do I get to be that?
0: Can you say a little bit more about when do I just get to be a woman. Could you could you speak to that a, a little more? Well, you know, before all the labels came, I was a little girl, Camille.
1: And that was a wonderful thing to be. And then when you leave the the comfort of the home and the neighborhood and the rest of the world comes in, then the labels come in. And for me, those labels had very... Uh, define political connotations for me in terms of identity. And so just being Camille when I'm just alone, uh, but the other things of the world can creep in. Or depending on the room you walk into, or the building, uh, or where you're driving through, you might, I find myself conscious of who I might need to be in that particular space. So it's about navigating the world. You're from
0: the South, correct?
1: Uh, yes, the, the deep South. And so uh, that brings with it all kinds of wonderful, colorful things uh, that have shaped me into the woman I am today, and I wouldn't change any of that. Uh, they've also helped me navigate the world. So uh, growing up uh, in the, the deep South during the time of uh, Jim Crow law shapes you differently and my you know parents protected you but did not but also taught you how to navigate the world so they didn't want you to pretend that none of this exists because that could cost you your life but again uh, the ability to navigate different situations
0: that has made all the the difference when in your life did you first become aware of different gender roles oh that's that's fascinating. I hadn't quite thought about when that hit.
1: Uh, I always had beautiful dresses, and I had at one point, probably by the time I was 10, I had tw- 25 dolls, and I was lucky enough to have a playroom uh, and, or a playhouse for me to be in. The gender differences might come in if my father might say, well, that's what those old boys do. But he never made it feel less than to be a girl, because he had three girls and one boy. And he would, some of the men said, oh, you only have one one boy. And he said, but I have those beautiful dresses on the clothesline blowing in the wind. So that was the joy.
0: What issues of gender do you confront in the workplace, either now or in previous work situations? There are a
1: couple. and some are more subtle than others, and some are very direct when you walk into the room. In some of the positions I've been in, uh, it, I clearly was the only woman in the room or one of two women in the room. And the question is, how do you walk into the room? I have no desire to be one of the boys, but I want to be in the room. So one of the ways of navigating that room when I am the only woman is to know that I know the information, the facts. I'm articulate. I'm crisp. Uh, I can have some levity. And it it really depends on the environment. If the environment causes in, I walk in with those three-inch heels or four-inch heels because having a man have to look you in the eye puts him in a very different position than having to look up to a man. So I have, I will say, one of those advantages of being a tall woman. So even without the heels, I'm still, for many men, I may walk in and they may have to look up to me. And that I found to be quite (laughs) empowering in a way. But at the same time, how can I put it? Growing up as that Southern woman, to have the velvet hammer, you don't always have to come off hard. To be powerful in the room, and I learned that from the women in my life, both uh, you know intimate family members and the women who who have shaped my life not only in in the South but across the board. The girly girl or the tomboy, I was all those. I was never one. I, I it's not a negative, but not one dimensional. And at. At the age I am now, because age comes in, I am still not one-dimensional, nor do I have any desire to be that flat.
0: You talked a little bit about gender and age in the workplace. Could you please say a few more words about that?
1: Uh, Yes. At this stage, I turned 65 this year, and I was looking forward to it uh, because with each decade, there's been a different experience. Gender and age at 65 for a woman. I have encountered ageism, the negative components, and it doesn't matter what degree you have. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. And some people don't even know they're doing it to you, and they think they're paying you a compliment. I didn't think I would be so sensitive to someone said, oh, you don't look your age. And I'm kind of like, what is 65 supposed to look like? I have had gray hair, totally gray, for, I will say, probably the last 20 years. At age... Um, 10, I had salt and pepper braids. So I knew I was always going to have some level. And I only knew a mother with gray hair and a father with gray hair mingled gray. So in my family, it was going to happen. Uh, Age in my 40s and 50s was a positive walking in the room with the sheer authority. Hair wasn't totally gray at that time, but there was enough gray to get gain respect. Then culturally, depending on where you are in the world, a woman walking into the room with gray hair commands a whole nother level of respect. So I learned to use it to my advantage uh, as much as I could, but now turning 65, and people won't ask, but most of the time, first thing they do is look at your gray hair. And it was a very um, interesting thing how to use it and how, and physically. Okay, that becomes another issue for women with ageism. If you're a tall woman and you're slender, life is good with the Nordic blonde. If you are not a petite woman, then the issues of being petite have an impact on you. But then a petite woman with gray hair almost gets dealt with childlike. So I didn't have that challenge. Uh, So again, physical stature, being slim, being athletic has been an advantage for me walking into a room. Uh, The men in the room, whether it was in the professional setting, in particular in a professional setting, never caused me a, a problem with being gray. But now I find going into the grocery store, going into the shop, even if I'm tall and slender, they talk louder. It's, it's crazy. My hearing didn't go away with, with the age, and I'm very fortunate <laughs> with that. And they might not think you're as smart. And then if you add ageism, you add gender, then you at ethnicity uh, and race. All of those things will impact on your geographical location can have even more of an impact on how you deal with your age. Two years ago, I stopped blowing drying my hair. But I was going to a meeting, and a friend said, you might need to blow dry the hair to go to the meeting. And I did because I knew what would happen if I didn't. It's putting them at ease. So I know when I blow dry my hair, I put them at ease. So imagine you're getting ready for work, and you have to take the not the 15 minutes to get ready, but the hour to get ready, to make the world comfortable with you. Because the danger of not doing that could cost you your life
0: or your job. Through my own experience and what I've witnessed with others, really seen how many women, there is this societal expectation about we are raised to make other people feel comfortable, feel at ease, uh, more eager to please, more eager to say yes. But I have not had to experience this same thing with the racial component. And I would really appreciate hearing if you have anything else you want to say about that. No, thank you. It's um,
1: being an African-American woman and, and some things have changed. I don't feel like I was groomed to say yes, but groomed to take care of people, but also at the same time, and, and again, to take care of myself by both parents, because you had to navigate first as being African American. Women came second, even in the civil rights movement, you can see that gender was pushed back. And there were thousands of women at the forefront. For me, Sojourner Truth stands as a beacon, because ain't I a woman too? And I have to remind black men. I have to remind men in general that I'm a woman. And I have to remind white women that I'm a woman too. Because when we talk about women in the American society in particular, when we say women, we're talking white women. And on the news, if they say uh, that a certain woman uh, has accomplished something, you know it's a white woman. But they'll make it clear if it's a woman of color. It's a, a the first black woman. And yes, that's a wonderful thing. But I've said this before. When do I get to just be Camille? When do I just get to be a woman? Because I'm both. And they are suits that I wear every day. I can't unzip them and change them out like I would my dress, my heels. And when you look past me and you only see the black person, then you don't see the woman. I was very fortunate with both parents that they made me see both, and I didn't just say yes because I was female. But my father and mother both knew, and and this was done with my my two sisters as well, that you needed to be able to take care of yourself just in case that man couldn't take care. My father made sure I could change the tire on a car. So if I had a flat tire, I could take care of myself. Uh, My mother gave each of the girls for their cocktail bag. Remember, I'm a woman from the deep South. Uh, we had a beautiful pearl-handled switchblade that went in your oh my cocktail
0: goodness. bag. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say.
1: <laughs> and did they teach you how to use that switchblade? They did. And when I was 16 and different than the switchblade, because I think I know where you thought I was going. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I no, mean, I
0: thought when you said pearl-handled, I thought you were going to say a pearl-handled purse. That's what I thought you oh, were going no, to no, say. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh,
1: one sister had a pearl hand or a small gun in her cocktail bag, and, and, and I had the uh, the switchblade, but also in my little when I was driving, because my father did not give me a gun, I had, if I were driving alone, you know, from a distance, I had a hatchet on the seat. And I can remember the, my best friend and I were driving, and this was in the daytime, and this guy pulled up, and we were on the, the the highway. You know, he was saying, pull over. And I told my friend, hand me the hatchet, and I waved it in the window, and <laughs> it took off. So <laughs> I, I was comfortable being able to use that. And I'm a woman who owns a gun uh, for self-protection. And like so many women, but in particular black women, knowing how you walk down a street, I mean, these are things. Maybe the generation today, depending on where you come, don't think about that. But I know the women who are my age and maybe 10 years younger or 10 years older, are all very conscious of how you navigate a room, how you navigate the street, how you might not take that walk in the forest by yourself. And I've only done that once, and it was in Germany in the black forest. Would I do it here? No. Not unless I were armed. And that takes away freedom. Whereas my white counterpart might be blissfully ignorant of anything that could happen or feel nothing should happen. And I'm going like, something could happen.
0: The conversations that I've had with white women around this, it's more around not walking alone at night.
1: Oh, yes. You, you're you conscious of it and you push it back, but you know you're monitoring as you do it. Uh, Driving across country, I would really, unless I have planned out my stops as a woman, yes, but even too as a a black woman, I'm going to think, where can I stop? Uh, uh, What state am I crossing? (laughs) And how? what's going to be the response? And this is not just the South. Let me just tell you, Indiana, uh, alive and well. California, Colorado, you know, uh, I have been chased by the Klan outside of the South. Uh, this myth, and I, and I'm saying that it, Jim Crow only existed in the South. That was branding, intentional branding, and it, I find it such an irony that I find myself coming to the defense of of the South as a daughter of the Deep South, and it's it's an interesting dynamic because that area shaping. There are always good people everywhere. So I think that's so important. But I think some of the harshest racism uh, is, for me, has been the East Coast,
0: the pretentiousness.
1: You know, please tell me who you are. You know, do not pretend to to be. uh, And I know what you're saying in the room. And sometimes if it's about a foreigner who is not American, you will say it in the room in front of me. Because then I'm an American. So it, it's an interesting dance that we play. And for some of us, it's more painful and costly. Uh, and I feel, not I just feel, I know from experience, I have lifted other groups who weren't in the room because I was also brought up that if they're going to say it about them, most certainly they will say it about you. So in this room, I am all people.
0: What life goals or dreams have you chosen not to pursue, and do you think gender played a role in any of your decisions? Uh,
1: Gender and race probably factored in when I decided I wanted to be a state trooper at seventeen, and I knew I had passed the test and they told the written test and they told me I failed. So that was one of those things. Uh, and my father made it clear even though he, he was a truck driver, you know and then my mother's brother was an independent trucker so he went across you know the country from coast to coast and I like God freedom. And I said, well, I want to be a truck driver And my father said, no, you cannot be a truck driver because you know I wanted a, a Peterbilt truck and I knew exactly and I was going to be an independent trucker but that, that I got pushed uh, away from. I think now though, I feel at 65, gender and age and race are an even bigger challenge than when I was a younger woman to go into a profession to change my profession because I feel the box and I don't like boxes, and I don't want to say get out of the box or another box. I don't want any, any boxes. Box, no box, yeah. <laughs> I never wanted boxes, you know. So that I feel is my biggest challenges now. Even with all the, the things from Jim Crow on, I didn't feel as much of the constraint because maybe that base group was there constantly supporting. And as you get older, you know, the parents are deceased. Uh, the siblings are getting older, but at a distance. So creating that extended family, and I found when I left, you know, the South to go out, I had to create, or I felt I had to create the next family there. But the mechanisms on gender and age are, are really, I find, most repressive
0: now i have to say that is really powerful to say that this is more of a difficult thing to deal with than dealing with jim crow that kind of blows me away
1: and it's not to put down that there was a, a walk in the park but the support group and the pervasive attitude of society across all races about age And if you're a woman of this age without money, one of the things that, and I'll use the word, scares me most is not having enough money as an older woman. And where do you go? And How are you treated? You know, I have family, I have friends, but it doesn't, I still want my independence. That, I think, scares me more than anything, not to have the physical and financial and health independence as an older woman.
0: Is there anything else that you would like to add, either something that was touched upon in an earlier part of the conversation or something that I didn't raise?
1: Being myself, the, the luxury and sometimes the only space that I found that I could be free was inside my head. And it's still the space I go to when the world says I can't be or when the world says I'm an imposter. And sometimes it's that younger me that pushes me out there and says, you can still do this.
0: Thank you so much for coming over. I've really enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight, music by Kevin MacLeod. If you have comments or questions that you would like addressed on the show, please submit them on the website yourownvoice.org contact. Lastly, I'm excited to announce the launch of a Patreon campaign for the Your Own Voice podcast. My goal is to expand the diversity of voices heard on the show and to keep this a safe platform for people of all genders, free from any external influence like advertisers. I invite you to check out my page at patreon.com slash your own voice podcast. And I hope you'll become a part of my Patreon community. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.